Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Worms and welcome to the Vanity Project with me, Vanity Von Glow. This year I've got several exciting projects kicking off and I'll be talking in some detail about one of them during today's Queen's Corner segment with the sommelier Beth Brickenden. Beth and I have been friends for almost a decade. Her brother is a musical director who used to play piano. Well, he still plays piano, but he used to play it with me and host shows uh, together in London for several years. The nights we had all of us at Soho's Green Carnation gathered round the piano, throngs of reveling gay men singing songs from the musicals. Beth nestled amongst us, glass of wine in hand. Well, bottle of wine in hand often. Beth and I have our Dragon Wine shows and we've got an announcement concerning a 26 date run of live events a bit later on. So please make sure you stay tuned to the end to find out more. It's actually really exciting and we're thrilled that we're able to finally tell people about it. But before all of that, my special guest today is Christina Bianco. Today's guest became a viral internet sensation in the mid-2010s when a video medley of her expansive celebrity impersonations became a hit with audiences all over the world. Now you may well have seen the clip in question, it was a hilarious rendition of Total Eclipse of the Heart where she jumps from impression to impression of the great divas. A singer who had been working in the off-Broadway hit show Forbidden Broadway, she'd spent years developing hilarious impressions of some of show business's most recognisable vocalists. Judy Garland, Shirley Bassey, Barbara Streisand, Celine Dion and more. She's been on the Ellen DeGeneres show, the Paula Gradio show, the Queen Latifah show, and plenty of other uh, television appearances. Now she's touring as the lead in the UK production of The Rise and Fall of Little Voice. When I list the singers that she impersonates, it sounds like a roll call of the artists whose songs I sing in my own shows, so I'm really excited to be sitting down with her today. It's like having all of them uh, down for a chat. When you can't get Celine Dion on your podcast, fear not, because Christina Bianco is Celine, Brittany, Gwen Stefani, Bernadette Peters, and many more. Christina Bianco, hello. Oh, no pressure at all there. <laughs> thank you so much for having me and thank you for that intro. I remember when I first saw the video of Total Eclipse in the Heart, it's the sort of thing me and my friends like to watch anyway. Like, you know, right. we'll put on Christine Petty doing Les Oh, Mis, of course, yeah. You know, of a drunken night and sit and be so entertained by 
uh, by the divas and then by impersonations of them. But yours are just absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's always so funny that, yeah, that particular video, that's the one that blew up so quickly, um, Total Clips of the Heart. And it's, it's so funny because it, they tell you, I mean, they, the they's of the world that know how like YouTube and algorithms work and all that stuff. Um, it's like, that should not have had any attention. It's entirely too long. It's like a six minute video. I talk for well over a minute before I even start singing. Yeah. And then my first impression, at least in my opinion, was totally my worst one. It was the first time I was ever attempting Adele in public. And doing it in your house and doing it in a microphone and from an audience is very different. So you try to find ways to do it. Like you grow, you change. And the only way to learn is to do it in public. So to me, I'm like, this is horrendous. How did anybody even keep watching? And then it was noisy and the camera was shaking. and Because it was just my friend holding up a camera just, just for you know the heck of it. Um, but the audience loved it. And the only reason I even posted it was I said, wow, I never expected that, you know, kind of impromptu thing to go over so well so what what the heck I'll give it a post I'm obviously so glad that I did because that little video changed my life yeah I mean it's one of those things that captured you know everyone that was working in tv production wanted you on their shows you know once you've been on the Ellen DeGeneres show it can't really get any bigger than that in terms of audience size yeah, it's, it's so funny too, I keep saying funny, but like the whole thing was weird. It was just weird, you know, because normally when a YouTube video goes viral, it's something like, I mean, like around before, before I got popular, there was like the Charlie bit my finger thing, you know, like yeah. a little kid and his brother. Like it's usually something that you can interview somebody, but you can't tour, you can't take on the road, you can't. Yeah used to boost a career you can't monetize in any way and doing cover songs on YouTube is almost impossible to monetize to begin with so let's not pretend that I made any money on that cover song you know um, no matter how many millions of views it got um, so it's it's interesting because when the phone started ringing and people were like can we have you on the show or on this radio show or on this TV show and then of course the likes of Ellen calling um, they say like okay so you can do this, like you can perform. It's like, yes, I am, I, I do this. I perform for a living. I don't do impressions yeah. like this, you know, for a living. I hadn't at that point. It's just something that I did. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny to all of a sudden, then you get asked, uh, in addition to the TV stuff, like, okay, well, we have a, an event. Sometimes they want you to come on and do one song. Sometimes it's a corporate event. Sometimes it's a whole concert. That's what it's like, yeah, I have a show. Yeah, I have charts. Yeah, you want tracks? You want a band? And everyone's jaw was on the floor because they just, when they see something on YouTube, they just assume that you're somebody sitting twiddling their thumbs that just happened to post it on a whim and never does impressions before. In fact, it's no secret, because I've said this before, but when I was doing um, the Ellen show, they were like, we don't want to talk about how you, you know, are a singer and an actor. <laughs> and I was like, well, I am, and you can Google it, and I've said it in every other interview, but I'm not doing, you know, concert tours doing impressions. It's like, I hadn't been doing that. I said, so this is, it's still something that's, you know, not something I do every single day um, that happened to get attention. But it's a struggle because it's like part of what the internet and the world wants is for me to just be some girl singing into my hairbrush. <laughs> yeah. that, that became an overnight sensation and not to hear that like, yeah, I've been performing and acting and singing for 10 years um but this just happened you know one youtube video happened to catapult you know me into a different different um and additional direction i always say i didn't change my entire career it didn't change um the focus it just added it was like another offshoot and i'm so grateful for it because it's led me to so many great places but yeah had i not already been quote unquote a professional much to people like the ellen shows 
<laughs> you know, dismay. Had I not been a professional performer, I don't know that I could have capitalized on the momentum and um, exposure that those videos gave me. There's something very refreshing as a performer to see a performer benefit from that type of explosive sort of attention because a lot of the time it is, as you say, it is somebody who has got a, a little knack for something. I mean, you couldn't imagine the, Char the Charlie Bit My Finger world tour, could you? I mean, that's, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, so I went to see your show, I think in maybe like 2015, 20, or maybe 2016 at the the Charing Cross Theatre here oh, in London. Oh, the Christmas show. It was a Christmas show, oh, yes. Oh, come all ye divas. Yes. I'm still, it's so funny. I've done it in London at Charing Cross and I did it at the Sydney Opera House and I've never done it in New York. I'm like, okay, I've got this whole show I gotta do there. I keep forgetting that. It was my, one of my favorite things, that show. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it was so good. And I, I love that there's a, that cabaret style concert, which is very similar to how Bette Midler puts a show together, where you're gonna have one minute humor and chat and a lot of freedom, it feels, to talk to the audience however you want and then go into the songs. Um, I mean, that's, that's the, the type of show I like doing. The highest you could ever give me. I don't know if you've read that I say that, but that's who I model my shows after, is Bette Midler's concerts. Well, it's it's also who, who I think Adele wants to model herself on. You know, she, Adele said that, like, that moving between humour and melancholy, and in drag, because that's very exaggerated when I do it, you get a really body laugh, and then you get a heartbreaking song. I love that juxtaposition, because it makes the laughs funnier, and the sad moments even more bittersweet. Yeah, and it's it's exactly what happens in real life. We we don't live lives that are completely joyous or completely tragic. You know, we don't. It's And it's funny to tie it into um, one of the reasons you're talking to me is doing the play of Little Voice. That play, I think, has endured for 30 years, even though it's technically about a, like a very niche group. It's about like a, a small northern family, you know, in England. It, it prevails because the story is absolutely about the comedy and tragedy of everyday life. And if you don't, if you don't laugh at something, we'll cry at something and, and how everything can change and turn on a dime. And I love that in my concerts. I hate restrictions. It's like, you're a pop artist, you sing pop. You're known for the heavy ballads. I mean, even, even listening to Judy Garland complain about it on her albums, like at Carnegie Hall being like, they don't let me sing this. I don't know who they are, but they won't let me sing this. And it's like, nope, you gotta do everything. And when I was, Another rant I won't go on because I talk forever as an <laughs> New Yorker. Um, but everyone, when I was doing theater growing up, you know, I wanted to sing different styles and genres of music. And they would say, look, well, you can't do country music, honey. You're from New York and your last name is, you know, like Italian. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can't do that. Well, you can't really just be a, like a, a jazzy standard singer because that genre is dying and you have to really commit to it. Like you can't do theater in that at the same time. Oh, oh okay, I, I guess I won't do that. So then you do theater. And then when you do theater, you're like, okay, I'm going to audition for Rent and sing our, you know, like riff. And then I'm going to audition for um, uh, Leonard Bernstein, like Candide and, you know, and sing Coloratura Soprano. And they're like, well, you're kind of confusing the people behind the, the casting people because they need they don't know who you are are you contemporary modern or are you period I was like oh my gosh why do I have to keep choosing and I just found that I never ever ever fit in a box I have never fit in a box I never will fit in a box and I tried to squeeze myself into them and had a few unsuccessful years of auditioning because I just kept trying to be what people told me I should be and it's really um the, the irony is not lost on me that it's like I get to be more myself than ever while 
doing impressions. Like impressions led me to get to do concerts where not only do I do these impressions that I love, which is a part of what I do and what I love, but I also get to sing in my own voice. Mm -hmm. And I get to offer things as Christina. And within that, I get to sing pop, rock, country, jazz, <laughs> you know, Broadway and everything in between. And no one leaves going, I think she did too much there. It makes I, sense. And so I, I like to challenge those, those people that say you have to be in a box and say, well, somehow I'm making it work. So it can be done. I love when artists have different strings to their bow. I think of like how Kristen Chenoweth has obviously her musical theater stuff in which she'll go into the soprano vibe but then she's got her really twangy comical American um, but her own music aside from that her albums have, have got that like Oklahoma country feel to yeah, them yeah that's her upbringing and it's like we don't have to be identified by one sound or one style because all of all of those influences inform who we are so you could even have it all, a lot of it in one song I mean it's harder to do but you can and that's yeah. I always like those artists that that's, you can't go, oh, I can't quite figure out what genre they're in. And I love that. I love There's that. a moment in your show where um, I think it's in some of your videos online as well, because I've, I've watched many of them over the years, <laughs> um, where you go into your own voice and people love it because they, I think they've built up such warmth towards you because with each, each time you change from singer to singer, then you go into your voice, people feel like, Yay, she's here. Thank you. Which yeah, is I, lovely because you might <laughs> you might be afraid that they're going to go, now go back to Judy Garland. Yeah, people always say to me, do you, do you wish that, you know, you feel like you're stuck doing impressions and you haven't want to do more in your own voice? I've never felt that way. Um, the, I mean, the, I should say, the only time I've ever felt that way are, are with people for short situations that don't know me, typically in a media marketing TV thing where they're like, just come on and sing and do the voices, dance, monkey, dance. Like, yeah. that's when you're, but you're, it's also a different beast. That's not me crafting my own show. That's not my audience that's come. That's not an audience that I, that will necessarily be there for the long run. They're just like in, in and out. Here's your candy. And I get that. I get that. I mean, I didn't say, yes, Ellen DeGeneres, I would like to do a two minutes as me. And then I, no, you, you know what you're being asked to do and, and yeah. I, in those situations. That can be a little frustrating, but I, like I said, you sort of sign up to it. Um, the good outweighs the bad of the exposure and usually the opportunity or the paycheck. But for me, when I started doing my concerts before I ever had a viral YouTube video, they were just, you know, in New York for friends and family and the audience and the fan base I'd built up doing Forbidden Broadway and musical and a few other things. Um, and with those shows, it was like 50-50, half my own voice, half impression. And that wasn't just because I needed to stroke my own ego or not lose sight of who I am. It was because, to me, the successful people, people to, to do impressions successfully, establish who they are first because the audience doesn't can't fully appreciate how you're changing your voice to do the impressions mm -hmm. until they know who you are and mm -hmm. if a stand-up comedian was doing impressions which is the most typical way a lot of us hear impressions not usually sung usually just speaking impressions um typically they do you know they establish it they talk in their own voice they give their attitude you know and they go back to themselves between the voices. That's the same thing that a singing impressionist should do, I think, but you have to find a way to sing as yourself. Um, so it makes it more interesting for the audience. Also, if you're doing a whole set or even a whole show, let alone a two-set show, like the one at Charing Cross, I was like, I don't really feel like this should be a two-set show, but now I have to do that, so how do I fill this time, so to speak? You know, And you try to figure out ways to have an ebb and a flow. And yeah, telling a story, some bits you want to tell the story and you want to tell it as yourself. So I always think it's so important to to include me, you know, my stories, my voice, singing or speaking. 
uh, in my shows. And then uh, on the other side of it, I've been lucky to also work as Christina in musical theater without doing impressions. I mean, right before uh, the pandemic, I had the role and dream show of a lifetime playing um, Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl in Paris for five months. Um, Stephen Mears' incredible production. And it was like, you just don't, you don't get opportunities like that in general very often, let alone someone like me, um, let alone someone who's known for doing impressions. So it was just, it was just icing on the cake. It was like, this is, if I can continue to balance my career like this, it'd be great. And now Little Voice gives me the opportunity to do both, to show off my acting chops and be somebody else and play a character. Um, with the voice that sounds nothing like the one I'm using now and also <laughs> do impressions. So yeah, it's um, so far so good. Is it um, difficult channeling? Because obviously you're American. I mean, as a, I'm about to ask a very dumb question to an actor. Is it difficult no playing a British character? I always say, so I'm Scottish and I was, we in Scotland always think our accent's very hard for people to impersonate. Um, and here in the UK, we've got so many different regional accents, but you'll right. be playing a northern character in, yeah. in Little Voice. Jane Horrocks did it in the film for anyone who remembers the movie from the 90s. And there's something about that, like, this very typically British sense of humour to, to the Little Voice story. Like you oh, say, yeah. jumping between that quite dry, working class northern humour oh, and yeah. tragedy is part of that. Yeah, um, Jim Cartwright's script is unbelievable. The, the the movie is is as I always say, movies. Yeah, is essentially the plot, but the movie is very different from the the play, even in its setting. I think that the film is set in Scarborough, which the play most definitely is not. And actually, their accents weren't even Scarborough in the film, so I don't know why they did that. I guess they get the they like the setting visually or something. Um, but yeah, so this uh, Jim Cartwright, the playwright, is from Lancashire, and that's right. where he he intended it to be set. So. Yeah, there's this assumption that if you're good at impressions, you're good at accents. And I've always been told I'm good at accents, but there's a big difference uh, between doing it in a British accent in America and doing a northern accent for people in the north. Yeah. And again, with impressions, you know, it, let's, let's use someone like Adele or, or Judy Garland. It's like, you know, my idea of an Adele impression might be very different than somebody else's. I always think of those first Adele albums I listened to, so they're less belty. Um, less produced and it's more that dry um, round, overly rounded Adele sound where she adds a yodel to almost everything. Yeah, um, Everywhere, yeah, everywhere. So like my Adele has never really strayed from that area because that's the Adele I think of. Somebody else would be like, that's nothing like Adele. You know, Judy Garland, people think of younger Judy Garland versus older Judy Garland. You have to, you know, impressions are heightening and exaggerating with love. Um, isms and characteristics and vocal qualities of somebody that millions of, for thousands of, hundreds of thousands of millions of people know. And so there's a little bit of flexibility in how that person is seen, right, and depicted. So you choose your angle. With an accent, you either are doing it or you're not. Right. So there's no flexibility there. So it mm -hmm. makes it much more scary, um, particularly as an American <laughs> doing it for Brits in the North. Heck, if I was, a, a, if I lived in the UK and, never lived in the north it would be difficult I mean you'd hear the accent more frequently than I ever did growing up um, and of course on British film television and films but they come to the states there's not a lot of northern um, based uh, content but I and I did grow up watching absolutely fabulous and saw I did love bubble hello hello you know I loved that but that's also not even Jane Horrocks real you know yeah. voice or accent she's exaggerating and heightening again 
But I, I, um, I work with a dialect coach and I found my voice. So, so far, so good. No complaints. <laughs> can, you, can you give us an example of that difference between the young Judy and the older Judy Garlands? Yes. I actually do this in the show. I don't know if anybody can pick up on it. But um, yeah, I sing a little bit of Somewhere Over the Rain. Well, actually, the first time the audience hears LB do an impression, it's uh, the man that got away. It's in the script, it's in the film, I'm giving nothing away right now to anybody <laughs> who might want to be surprised. Um, and the man that got away, Judy sang it throughout her entire career. And of course, the first time she sang it in A Star is Born, she was, um, you know, young, but but the versions that we all know and the version that I'm kind of going off of is like Judy at Carnegie Hall and all yeah, that. Yeah, in the 60s. Yeah, and that's also the what the, the music begins to play. So we hear that it's that version, that arrangement. So I would sing that, oh God. How would I? Well, let me stick with Over the Rainbow then. But so, like, I, I would go with more of that, a little bit of the more drawn out vibrato, a little more uh, space <laughs> between it. And you can't see me physically over the, you know, over the, you know, excuse me, the noise over here. Uh, you can't see me, but her mannerisms and her isms, and of course, how she touches her face and her arms go. So it would be, um, Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high. And she closes vowels very often, like, you know, even singing Chicago. It's like, Chicago. It's in the back <laughs> of her throat. She closes it, closes those vowels and sings on a consonant that doesn't quite exist, but she puts it there anyway. Young Judy in The Wizard of Oz was very soft and delicate. See if I can do this with my husky voice today. Somewhere over the rainbow, where so it's, it's much. It's the same voice, mm -hmm. but she's singing it a little softer and a little more evenly. There's a land that I've heard of once in a lullaby, as, as opposed to once in a lullaby. Yeah. So it's just that age is there. And so, yeah, that, that's fun for me to play with in the show. There's something about um, when singers age as well, sometimes, because no, my favorite singer is Celine, Celine Dion. Oh, we have um, so much in common. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I mean, just incredible. But it's almost like... I don't want to. I don't want to say bad habits, but her pronunciation has changed, and she has sort of more of a so than than it, than it used to be. It's like she's, it's like she's no longer taking instruction from a dialect coach, which she yep. probably isn't. But back in the early nineties, you know, she was so her pronunciation was just incredible. And same with Judy Garland as she got older, it's like all becomes more of itself and more distinctive and more ripe for for parody and for impersonating. And the same thing with Shirley Bassey and Barbara Streisand. Right. Barbara Streisand used to, she always famously doesn't, you know, it gets nervous singing mm -hmm. in front of an audience. Um, and when she was younger, I think they tried harder to say, you're on television, you need to look forward, you need to open your eyes, hey, you're doing a musical, you're doing Funny Girl, you need to, you know, you don't really sing out to the audience, you're singing to, um, you know, looking, you know, breaking the fourth wall, but they're out there and you have to look forward. And as soon as she started doing her concerts and got more popular and more power, and people started saying, you know, yes to her as opposed to trying to tell her what to do, you notice that she just closes her eyes. She became softer. She was less brassy as a vocalist. And I'm going to use this word correctly, and I don't mean it as an insult, but she did become more self-indulgent. Yeah. And so she sings with her eyes closed very often and, and holds phrases and back phrases. And she does a lot of stuff that, that these these 
small habits became big habits. Um, and Shirley Bassey, my gosh, when I listened to her first versions of some songs, I'm like, she has never sung it that way in her life. Like, she has <laughs> never sung Goldfinger, ever, as sort of cleanly and without isms as she did on that first record. On the record, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it, and I refuse to do it like her on the record. I have to do it like her live. It's just not fun to do it like her on the yeah. record. Yeah, and I think that's what also makes those icons. They are not conforming. Yeah. You know, they find themselves, they grow. They also, again, it's sort of like when an audience says, we like this, we like you, we like what you're offering, it gives them confidence to be more and more themselves. So yeah, I'd like to think that Celine and, and Shirley and Babs are more them now yeah. than ever, you know? We are recording this um, episode um, earlier in the day, so feel free to tell me no. Um, is it too early for you to give us a little bit of Bassy? Oh, Bassy. Okay, wait, let me see. What should I do? Uh, it must I'm, be exhausting I'm to be Shirley Bassey, I think. Shirley Bassey, yeah, because she's she's a full-bodied performance. I mean, yeah. her face is huge facial expressions. I mean, I don't have a boa with me or, or in the show because LV wouldn't have one. And that's also a funny thing, too, and I will, I will get to an impression, but, you know, my doing the impressions within Little Voice, I'm doing them as LV would do them who's right. not a seasoned performer and doesn't know comedy and doesn't want to heighten too much. So I'm doing the impressions in little voice very differently than I would do them as me in my own concert. So there's, there's a weird thing with that too. Sometimes I have to stop myself yeah. <laughs> from doing like too many big things. So what is the song I keep getting so frustrated when I hear it? I'm like, that's not how it goes. What is it? I can't think of it. Oh, I Who Have Nothing. Oh, yes. So surely... I'm going to get the lyrics wrong. I'll switch songs here. But like, you know, on the original recording, it's like, I, I have nothing. And she says, I nothing. I have no one. And she says it really clearly. Yeah. But every Shirley Bassey performance that I've ever seen live and other subsequent recordings are like, I, I have nothing. I, I have no one. No, you have just so. It's that, it's that like, you know, throwing the notes and no one is... No one doesn't sound like no one. It sounds like no one. Like it's this yeah. weird thing. And I love it. I live for it. But yeah, they in Little Voice, they play what Elvie's listening to. And they chose the original. I was like, oh, it's no fun to parody. I'm going to have to just soup it up. But <laughs> anyway. I think that's part of what makes a diva is almost the rules of speech don't need to apply to them because we're in awe. And so, you know, they can start to, you know, it, yeah. it's much looser than just trying to get the words exactly right. I mean, Shirley Bassey oh can gosh. sing whatever she wants. Exactly. Like, and one of the other things I do, and I, I think it's now that we're some, not a lot of like big presses out for the show, but some reviews are out. So it's no secret that I do Barbara Streisand in this uh, because she would be of that time period. And I do believe that LV's father would absolutely have her as part of the canon. She fits yeah. Um, yeah. So Scylla is a brand new impression for me that I threw in, and uh, I threw in Streisand, and I won't tell you others. You have to come see it yourself. Yeah. But Barbara Streisand notoriously just you know changes phrasing, notes, melodies. She changes everything the way I just suit her needs. And um, it was very funny because when I was doing Funny Girl, I had to unlearn all of Barbara's you know versions of the songs, which very often means relearning a new me melody or a new mm -hmm. timing. And so, but I, it's really funny having sung, like, Don't Rain in My Parade, eight shows a week in Paris, and then singing it through the pandemic, and blah, 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 blah. And I sing it as me, in my own way. But in this show, I do it as Barbara Streisand. And it's the end that kills me, because it's, it's famous. Like, you can't go, nobody, no, nobody is going to rain in my parade. You can't. You have to yeah. go, oh, 
you have to do that parade. I mean, I don't, don't really know what word that is, but she's she owns it, and that's it. And it's iconic, and you must do it. You're doing it wrong if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I remember when I was very young, it's actually like one of my earliest memories. We were coming back over, we were driving home from with my parents from somewhere, probably from my grandparents' house, and we'd been watching Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah. And I was just I was just putting on her voice in the back of the car, and I remember my parents turning and, and being like, oh, you're actually quite good at doing Mrs. Doubtfire's voice. And I remember at that time, now it's annoying because I feel like I've been stuck with it actually. My accent is quite... Your accent isn't quite, far off from, from not, that, yeah. Not too far off. Dear. But the placement of your voice is obviously different. Yes, yes. Um, but I remember think, thinking like there's something a bit unnerving about someone doing a great impression, impression mm-hmm. but it's also really delightful. Like it's it's a bit mystical almost. Somebody is using a voice that doesn't look like it belongs to them and it's yeah. like... When did you first um, discover that this was something you could do that was entertaining? Ugh. So I discovered it was something I could do early. I didn't discover it was entertaining until many years later. And I also didn't do anything <laughs> about it until many years after that. So, it, yeah, I, I've told this story in a lot of my, my shows and interviews. And it's like I, my parents tell me that I was always doing voices. I always had a natural ear for mimicry. And it was singing along to Judy Garland and the Wizard of Oz, um, Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins or The Sound of Music. They would just hear me sing along and sort of take on the tone and style of whoever I was listening to. But I didn't do it with an awareness that I was doing an impression. I thought, oh, I'm singing the song and I'm singing Mm -hmm. it the way I'm hearing it. And I remember my mom saying things to me like, don't sing it like the recording, sing it like you. And I just thought she meant make it my own in phrasing or whatnot. Um, but then I, you know, because I did still sing as myself, I didn't really get lost in it. You know, you know, even like when I was singing a Dolly Parton song, I obviously wasn't singing it like Jolene, Jolene. Like you always sort of sing along in a little bit of the style of the person. Yeah. Well, at least I always did. I always yeah. sort of somehow couldn't help myself trying to sing it a little bit like them. Um, but it wasn't until years later, gosh, I think I was in high school at like some somebody's party like you know in the basement of somebody's house chaperoned by you know parents um, and it was Celine Dion it was um it was that's the way it is ah churn I be- well I think that was the song I could be wrong I'm gonna get my dates wrong but I was definitely in high school so it was that's the way it is and I remember I had heard it I loved Celine so I already knew the song really well and it came on the radio and I was just sort of by myself like you know, adjacent near people, but not not in the middle of a conversation. And I don't give up on your faith. Love comes to those who believe it, and that's the way it is. It's that that's and the love comes to those who believe it. It's always the love. All the love, love comes to us. And I was, and somebody heard me was like, oh my god, this is Celine Dion. Everybody, come here, go see it, do it again, do it again. And all of a sudden, there was a circle of people around me, and I was like, oh, okay, this is the thing. And then I remember in college, Kristen Chenoweth was getting very popular, and um, everyone always told me I was never going to work because I was four foot eleven. And then <laughs> everyone told me, and then everyone else said to me, "Well, Kristen Chenoweth is four foot eleven, but you're nothing like her, so it's not going to help you." It's like honestly, it's a great world, really great business. <laughs> Elaine Page, Judy Garland, Elena Roger, nobody cares though. But yet they say you're not going to work. I think no. I'll be fine. But uh, everyone was saying Kristen Chenoweth, you're nothing like her. And I'd say, how can you say that? How can you say I'm nothing like Kristen? I sound just like her. And I would just make them laugh doing her voice. So it was something I did, but I never took ownership of. I wasn't like, I'm going to make a whole act about this. Or yeah. I never in any any way thought it was going to get me work. 
or anything like that. Um, but I did also grow up listening to and going to see Forbidden Broadway, mm-hmm. which you mentioned because uh, the great Christine Petty is one of the greatest impressionists we've ever had in this universe. And uh, d- thank God now I can say it's just been the sweetest, dearest friend in my life. And when I was younger, I never would have thought I'd meet her, let alone work with her, let alone be in the same show as her and have a career similar to hers. It's crazy. Because to me, Christine Petty was a great impressionist. And I would never call myself one. You know, I hadn't even done more than two voices just for fun. I knew that I could change my voice to sound like other people and I quote unquote, took direction well. So if you needed a little kid, I could volunteer to be the kid. And if you needed the old lady, I could volunteer to be that. Like, you know, but I didn't, I thought that'll help me maybe in voiceovers or character roles, second second girl from the left in some show, you know. Um, that was a real dog barking that was for a real anyone dog. that it heard me. that. Sorry. It wasn't a, a, a canine impression. <laughs> no, I'm not that good, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so, so Forbidden Broadway was the first time I realized, you know, someone could have a job where impressions, like, help them get it, you know. And uh, I that show, for people that don't know, it spoofs and parodies all the Broadway shows and their stars, but with respect and love. And this is why I'm mentioning it. Because it wasn't stand-up comedy. It wasn't somebody exaggerating or, or, or you know, Barbara Streisand. I remember Forbidden Broadway, there was an article in, like, Backstage magazine or Playbill, some theater-based publication. And I remember Christine Petty saying, I, I'm not going to cross my eyes anymore doing Barbara Streisand. It was a very old standard thing. I think Marilyn Michaels, the great impressionist, uh, started doing it on television. That Barbara sometimes used to kind of cross her eyes a little bit when she sang, and she stopped doing that. And someone said, you know what, I think this makes it look offensive, so we're going to stop doing it. And that was when I was like, wow, they really care. They're really doing these impressions always from a basis of love and respect. And when something can look remotely cruel, they, they don't do it anymore um and I always remembered that and so yeah I would sing along to those cast albums of Forbidden Broadway essentially impersonating the impersonators uh and so when I finally saw an audition they never had auditions the show was around like 20 25 28 years before I even auditioned for it they had a huge stable of people to choose from they never had auditions but backstage forced one they you know the, the union forced one <laughs> And it was like, for future replacements, maybe, you know, it's a required call. And I was like, I'm going to go. Because just to say, I auditioned for Forbidden Broadway. And uh, I said, I'm going to see what voices I can do. The last time I saw the show, the, the shorter girl, this was a taller girl and a shorter girl. The shorter girl did Kristen Chenoweth, Bernadette Peters, blah, blah, blah. So I'll see what I can do. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I locked myself in my apartment for like a few days practicing these voices. Um, went to the audition. They liked me, asked me to, asked to hear more came back, they asked me what impressions I did, and I had a post-it note in my pocket where I'd written down these impressions maybe that I could do. And I said, oh, can I see that? And then the writer of Korean Creator at Forbidden Broadway took my post-it note and made me run through the list of impressions that I had just taught myself like two days before. And um, yeah, the rest is history, but I, I got that job and all of a sudden I was reviewed as an impressionist and asked to do impressionist impressions all over town in New York City. and. Uh, it changed my life. That's when I was like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I can say I do impressions. Maybe I can call myself an impressionist. But it's taken a long time for me to actually say it with confidence. A, a, a great one, which uh, which Christine Petty does brilliantly, and you do such a, a great one too, is Dame Julie Andrews. Uh. Who, it's the most distinctive voice, isn't it? It's just so there. It's so clear because she, she, it's funny. Some people go, oh, she doesn't have a lot of isms. I'm like, yes, she does. Yeah, she listen does. to her Christmas album. <laughs> like when you listen to her sing things that you don't know, like we all know her singing Mary Poppins and maybe My Fair Lady and Sound of Music so well. It's hard to imagine her singing almost anything else. Listen to her Christmas album. Listen to her singing stuff where you're like, oh, wow, she does lots of extra round vowels and lots of scoops and slides. It's like the ups and downs, ups and downs. She sings, speaks a lot of lines. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I love doing Julie Andrews. And of course you do, when I do her, I do tend to take the Forbidden Broadway approach and add in a few extra ews. Um, but why not? Why not? Yeah. If it makes the audience smile, then Absolutely. I can throw in a few more. I always think that the way we speak must on some level affect like how our brains even work. Cause you know, if you've got like, if you've just got a voice that sounds like that, then like, I feel like that must bring your mood down. But if you're Julie Andrews, your mood must be going up and down and you and all over the place. Like what a pleasant way to be. Yeah, like what, what a voice can represent is, is so interesting. Um, you've got so many performers, like a Kristen Chenoweth, when people think she's, you know, extra peppy or people say, oh, you know, you, talk in your real voice now and she's like this is my real voice I, I can't speak any other way you know I can't speak any other way but then when she sings she's able to um, you know use her obviously her breath support her breath control and but also just the placement the resonance of when she's in soprano 
it's totally different than her speaking voice. Yeah. So she gets to access those different parts of her. Um, and that's really cool. There are some people who I say speak exactly the way that they sing. Um, again, I want to make sure I'm, when I say all this, it's like it's said with love. It's not insulting anybody because boy, oh boy, the internet loves to be like, how dare you? That's yeah. so wrong. Well, like, you have to be an observer. Like you like, have to see yeah. this because you find when it comes to this sort of thing. Like to me, Britney Spears and mm-hmm. Adina Menzel their singing voice is so much an extension of their singing. Like Kristen yeah. sometimes, when Kristen belts, popular, I'm ever so popular, then it, she sounds the same as she's speaking. But then she sings in soprano when it's like a totally different human. Um, and you've got, Adina Menzel has this sort of like really casual voice where she sort of stays in the same pitch all the time and she barely goes up and down. And then when she sings, it's there, and she has this really high range, but it's still that kind of forward nasally, um, a little bit of rasp in there as well, like a little bit covered. Um, Britney Spears has that vocal fry, and we all know that uh, that she sings with that vocal fry. Christina Aguilera has kind of a light voice, you know? And then she sings, huh, totally different sounding. Her singing placement is totally different than her singing voice. So, I mean, than her speaking and singing are so different. So I always find that interesting when I hear people. Bernadette Peters, of course. Bernadette Peters has another very specific voice, and when she sings, it's the same extension of that sound. And I would argue that, um, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not going to go through everybody, but yeah. Liza, Min- Liza Minnelli's got quite a. Um, she'll burst into her speech in yeah. bits of song. She'll just. I don't, like yeah, I, I think Liza sings and speaks very differently. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, she's. I mean, young, again, young Liza verse now is very different, of course, but, um, you know, she's very, <laughs> very high and, and sort of almost in her head voice a little bit. It's always a little bit of there in her head voice. <laughs> But then when she sings, it's it's totally back of her throat, full throttle. In fact, her placement is almost like a Judy Garland, Shirley Bassey, Liza Minnelli, kind of back of the throat placement mm. for me. Um, but her speaking voice is, yeah, very forward. And she very almost sounds like she's just bursting out of the rain or something. You know, she's always yeah. like pulling herself back together. Full energy, full, full high stakes at every moment. That's what yes. we love, Liza. Yeah. Do you think that the era of the diva is over? Uh, yeah, I do a little bit actually, um, because I think, I think although we do have certain vocalists that have very distinct sounds, like Adele, and um, I used to say Ariana Grande, but it's amazing how many singers are now mixed on the radio to sound like her, or how she's mixed and altered to sound like other people yes um and lady gaga again you know many sounds of lady gaga we all know her voice because of she has willingly and beautifully sung so many different styles and genres of music done totally dance mixed up where you can barely hear her voice over the processing and then done stripped back versions where it's just her and piano but these voices um are not what you hear on the radio and not is not what's celebrated and people don't buy albums now and explore an entire story or an entire canon of music that shows the different colors of voices of artists they buy one or two songs um or they download one or they download the album but they still only play those one or two songs because you used to have to put on a record or put on a cd and now you don't have to do that now you can just sort of you know hop around so i think I think the making of complete albums has changed, which I think changes a sort of vocalist. I mean, I can, I was recently asked to impersonate Dua Lipa, and I was like, I don't really think I can. Mm. Because I can barely pick her voice out of a crowd. Yeah. I'm not dissing her voice, I'm not dissing her as a performer or her ability. I'm just saying it's interchangeable. 
Um, Camila Cabello, I thought, was somebody else the other day on the radio. I thought somebody was Ariana Grande, and it wasn't the other day. And I was like, I thought I know Ariana's voice. But it's just they're making everybody kind of sound the same. And, you- and I think that that celebration of unique and different is even in the musical theater world, I think, is faded. A voice like Bernadette Peters and Patti LuPone, they are very very distinct and not the common sound you'd hear and again not insulting anybody Kelly O'Hara is a great soprano Sutton Foster is a great belter but they both sound like other people to me Mm. I don't I would not be able to because I know their work so well maybe I'd be able to do it my my father-in-law would never be able to pick Sutton Foster or Kelly O'Hara's voice out but they sure as heck know who Bernadette Peters is it's just a very unique sound that I think that being unique and different um, for so long uh, has not been celebrated. We're moving maybe back toward that now a little bit more, but it's yeah, it's it's harder and harder to to find these um, these very very specific unique voices. And it's, notice that all the great divas are so identifiable. Mm. So I feel like we're losing that. Yeah. Have you ever heard um, Julie did a duet with Andrea Bocelli? I no, I haven't it, heard that yet. I can't remember what it's called. And, it, it, you know, it obviously whoever was producing it was trying to draw out qualities in her voice. Um, and it's so throaty and lovely. And I was like, wow, you could have a totally different, you know, thing going on. But she's the pop girl right in the middle yeah. of the pop Yeah, and right thing, now she so. is. That's the thing. It's like maybe she will. And hopefully she will, if she wants to, um, get to use and explore that other side of her voice. Um, but right now, I don't know it, so I find it hard to, to I would find it hard to impersonate her. In my notes here, I had written after the question because I, I wanted to ask you, is the era of the diva over? Because I agree with everything you've just said, and I was like, well, we have Adele and we have Jesse J, but nobody cares about Jesse J. I care about Jesse J more than you could possibly imagine. But yeah, she's not nearly as famous as she should be. Yeah, she um she's not uh, regarded for her voice. Which right. is funny she's, because her voice is, is next to Celine Dion, probably the best voice that ever Yeah, was. it's absolutely it's, unreal. If people don't know, they can watch clips of her from this uh, enormous talent show in China that she did where they took established artists, and I think she won it. And she's singing Whitney Houston and Celine Dion and Prince and everything, and her voice is so true and flexible and acrobat it's, it's she, she can riff her face off but she also knows when to turn it off and a lot of great artists who are really good at riffing can't necessarily turn that off and sing a beautiful straight tone and I think Jessie J has again like I said probably the greatest voice other than Celine Dion period I just cannot get enough of her and yeah I wish that she was a world famous diva and a household name and everyone was singing her songs I really do there we're getting on very well you and I there's <laughs> time there's time like I always think you can like you know what people need they need a good movie theme. That's how you get oh, back yeah. in everyone's consciousness. Um, but yes, in my notes here, I had also written that 14-year-olds think that Ariana Grande is a diva, but they're wrong. Because I feel she, like there was that potential when she was emerging. You thought, oh, she obviously loves the divas. But her her voice, as it sort of goes up, it flattens out somehow. It doesn't like open so up this its is, tone. And... This is, the, oh my gosh, you're, I, I agree with you. So first of all, not just for the people who think, you know, who do you think you are talking about this? As singers, any singer is going to appreciate the ability that Ariana Grande has. She's got yeah. an incredible ability and she's got a great range. So, but here's my two cents and the reason people don't hear me say, oh my God, I love Ariana Grande. She's the best thing ever. The reason is I like my singers 
to make me feel something. And Ariana Grande hits those high notes, whether it's a comfortable belt or a really a mix that sounds like belt. She hits those high notes as if she was lying down on the sofa. It's so easy for her. Mm. And therefore, I, have, I feel no emotion. There's I feel no nothing. tension. And as a human, she is a very sweet, lucky, privileged girl and has not lived a life where she's adding layers and years and decades of strife and sorrow to her songs. But also the lyrics she's singing are very often, ooh, baby, yeah. So we're yeah. not also getting that content from her. But I will say when she did, does sing musical theater, I still feel the same way. I feel like she's just not capable of acting it and singing it. And all of my, I think all the great divas, Adele included, you just feel that passion and fire in their voice. And so Ariana is absolutely incredible, but to me, she's not she's not a diva because she doesn't have the drama, and she doesn't uh, she may have the incredible vocal range, but she doesn't have the um, that special something that makes me jump out of my seat and yeah. applaud or or you know want to lay myself down at their feet. That's because got- she's lovely. Don't all don't all go here. <laughs> you know? I actually I actually um I was. Not, not close anymore, but I um, worked with her brother a lot, Frankie, and uh, and uh, met Ariana a few times. In fact, Ariana came to see Forbidden Broadway when she was about to do 13, and uh, I helped her with a Judy Garland impression in the lobby of the Forbidden Broadway Theater. Wow. <laughs> yeah, little Ariana. I can't believe the, the way that she just is now, because when I met her, she was just like this, you know, just very different. I feel like she she would probably like she'll be a fan of yours because she does seem to know her like she's done her homework she really loves the, it sounds like the stuff that you and I love you know she is oh, a, yeah. a scholar of of great singing and great she's artistry. very very smart when it comes to that stuff very smart musician that's yeah I hope I don't know maybe maybe she'll maybe she'll pull a Gaga and reinvent herself into a pantsuit and power ballads soon. Speaking of um, crossing paths with some of the big stars you got to sing for bonnie tyler yeah i did my favorite tv show appearance sorry ellen being on the paulo grady show and actually singing total gifts of the heart for bonnie tyler and um they let me do the whole song and with my my friend and music director joe louis robinson playing the piano as opposed to like two minutes for the track so it was just the most luxurious incredible tv experience of my life yeah i think paulo grady um, who you, I'm sure you're familiar with him having been on his show, but yeah. because he comes from, the, you know, the real pub drag cabaret world, um, going back 30 years when he was Lily Savage, so he'll know that an artist should be just just give them don't cut this into a tiny TV segment, give them just that time to show you what they do. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I mean, he was so lovely. Everybody on the show was lovely. They gave us ample time to rehearse, which sounds like a small thing, but very often on TV you don't get that. Um, it was it was a celebratory moment for me, and coming full circle, just to just the fact that I, I you know, grew up listening to Bonnie Tyler, yeah. and there she was, and, and thankfully I wasn't impersonating her. I cannot impersonate her. No, I don't have that rasp or in my voice. Um, but and that's why she's like, why don't you do me? And I was like, and nobody could possibly do you, which is the best answer because I've never really heard anybody do Bonnie Tyler. It's such a distinct sound. I love so her. Unique. I actually and love. And she was lovely. It was. I mean, what a cool thing. Yeah. I was like, I think I peaked. This is it. <laughs> those songs, all you know, all the Jim Steinman songs. The those huge yeah. like total eclipse, obviously. God and rest him. 
Yeah, I, oh my God, I it's all coming back to me now. It's like the song that I, that's my signature song from my own show. So when I sing that, that's the one everyone expects to hear at the end of the show. Because yeah. you can just sing everything. You've got every human emotion in that one piece. And you can be very flexible and, and pull back and then go full throttle all in the space of one song. And so many of his songs are like that. They're real yeah. gifts to singers. They are. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree. And, and Jim actually was... was uh, when my video went viral, was it like 2013 or something like that? Um, I got a Facebook message from a Jim Steinman. And I was like, this no. is hilarious. But it was actually Jim Steinman. No way. <laughs> it really was. And he was like, I'm going to find you. I'm going to go to your website. And then he also went to my website. And we, I realized it was the real Jim. And we started uh, an email conversation. And he said, I, I just can't believe this so cool um, and I have friends that have worked with him since and worked closely with him and it's just a lovely man and I didn't know he was you know ill at the time but mm. he said thank you he thanked me what thank you for showing me how some of my all-time favorite you know um, vocalists would have sung my song you know yeah, I wish that wow. some of them had and you gave me a window as to how some of them would have done it and I'm so glad you picked my song and that you liked it um, but he said hearing yeah hearing and he listed some people like Celine and whatever he's like hearing them sing it is a dream and you just made it come true and, and he, he was so kind and, and, and very uh, complimentary understanding the voice and understanding impressions and how I switch and he's like and I'm sure you couldn't hear very well I was like no Jim I couldn't <laughs> you know <laughs> that's me you know and he's like you did such a good job and I, I, I understand it was like the first time you were doing it just for fun and the fact that that's you off the cuff is so like he gave me the nicest compliments yeah. that a musician could possibly give me let alone him the writer of the song and I'll never forget that I gotta find that uh, that Facebook message and frame it that is lovely he produced, um, as well as it's all come back to me now, he produced Call the Man for Celine, which yeah. is just her voice on that is possibly at its peak, you know? Yeah. Out oh of so many God. peaks. Um, so are you, you're touring in the rise and fall of Little Voice, which is taking you all up and down our lovely British Isles. Are you based Yes, and based not in here? the best order. <laughs> so I'm seeing everything. <laughs> What are you? Are you jumping up north, <laughs> yeah, south, east, west? Yeah, and that's just, that's just because of scheduling. And the, of course, we were. This uh, play was originally set to be in 2020, so we've had to change the schedule so many times. It's it's to nobody's fault, but yeah, we we're certainly hopping from north to south and east and west <laughs> with abandon. <laughs> um, and so you spend quite a lot of time in the UK. It seems I feel like you've. Yeah, well, actually, you've been over quite a few I times. I am currently a British resident. Uh huh. Yeah, my. Uh, uh, I got a visa um, that began like this summer, um, but it's been in the works. I've been planning to come here again since like 2020. Um, I have had so many wonderful experiences in the UK, in Scotland, and Wales, and obviously England's where I spent most of my time, England and, L and London. Um, but basically, I always wondered what it would be like if I spent more time here. What my, I had great opportunities coming to me already, what would it be like if I was actually settled not running back and forth? If my lovely agent who's here, every time he calls and says, okay, so I, they wanna submit you for something, but can you fly in? That sounds crazy to fly in for one audition. Maybe we can get you seen on video, I'm looking to call you in later. And I just was, kept balancing out the opportunities I was getting in the States versus what I was getting here. 
And uh, I was always, always more excited about my opportunities here. Like I said, I don't expect to get work immediately. I don't expect the UK to roll out the red carpet and everything's going to magically change. But I, I really love the open-mindedness, I will say, of the arts in England. And mm -hmm. I know that the grass is always greener and you're going to go, oh, we have so many problems and they cast the same 12 people. Yes, that happens everywhere, but I certainly would never have been seen for Fanny Bryce at mm -hmm. all in the United States. And I played it here. Mm -hmm. I, a production of Little Voice wasn't going to happen in the States for me, but it's happened here. Mm -hmm. And I love it here. And I think after spending all of my life in New York, I've never left New York. And uh, you know, I'll always be the ultimate New Yorker. But um, the hustle and bustle of Manhattan is so different than the hustle and bustle of London. To me, London is still quaint and quiet and the buildings are low and peaceful. So it's been a breath of fresh air and I never wanted to wonder what if. So my husband and I took took the little leap and said, hey, let's give this a few years and if it goes well, we'll extend the visa. And if not, uh, or if we feel like it went well, but we still wanna you know, live back in the States and we'll go back and do that. But so far, so good. I mean, it's nice to roll into a job, so. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, we, we officially moved over in February, right before we started rehearsals for Little Voice. Later this year in August, I will be doing two shows at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, and I'm from very near Edinburgh, although I'm based in London. So for me, I've always avoided going back to do the Edinburgh Fringe because I'm like, oh, it's kind of where I'm from. Like, I don't want to go back to where, you know, I like London. I don't want to go away for a month. Um, but I'll be and taking everybody my... goes to do the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. This is it. And then eventually I was, you know, after the lockdowns and everything, I thought, God, you know what? I, I, I do need to do this at least once. So I'll be going with um, our dragon wine tasting show that I have with uh, Beth Brickenden, who's going to be on in a minute. That is brilliant. Oh, if you like wine, Christina, you're going to like this. <laughs> well, you have to like drag as well, I suppose, but, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think have this a feeling... is a little too up my alley. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I wonder, do you have any advice? Because you've done the Edinburgh Festival yourself. What should I know? What things could you tell me that no one else can tell me? This is that no one else can tell you. No, I'm going to tell you everything that artists, that all, artists all say the same thing. They say, you want to see everybody else's show, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Because you will burn out, you will get sick, you will get fringe flu. The weather changes, as you well know, every 15 seconds during oh, yeah. that time period. And you have to baby yourself more than you want to. Uh, I say carefully map things out. I know it's you want to get there and live it up and live in the moment and meet people at a bar and they say, come see my show, and then you just go. But I'm telling you, if you want to perform in a healthy way... <laughs> <laughs> without running yourself too thin you got to plan make a great spreadsheet get a good planner um because it's such an incredible experience and the energy of that that city is filled with is so incredibly strong and uh the fact that the festival still exists for its i know it's hard it's very expensive to find housing it's expensive for people to even visit to come to the festival um, but the fact that it exists is so special and the fact that it's happening now after the pandemic is so special. So I just can imagine that everyone's going to be just so enthusiastic and running around, but we want everyone to stay healthy and safe. So I say like a mom, be really careful, plan everything out, plan when you're seeing your shows, book your tickets in advance, book a taxi in advance to get somewhere or plan your footpath because it is so busy and so crazy i ran myself thin every time <laughs> i always got sick and i was like how do i avoid this so learn from my mistakes <laughs> so i've got to be a 
responsible and well-rested, well-hydrated. While drinking lots of wine, of course. All of that. Um, Christina Bianco, it's been fabulous to have you on here. I keep saying this to every guest. This is our second season, so we're really appreciative of everybody who's come on. And it's just been great to talk to you. I loved your show when I saw it live. And um, hopefully I'll get along to see the rise and fall of Little Voice, which is going up and down the UK, as we've said. Yes, from now to July 16th is the last show. So yeah, please do come catch us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it's that Queen's Corner time of the Vanity Project once again, where I'm joined by one of my nightlife drag queen reprobate pals, here in London today. It's none other than Sommelier. That's right, she is a wine expert. It's the fabulous Beth Brickenden. How are you, Beth? Hello, I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for doing this. You and I work together all the time with our drag and wine shows, which are wine tastings, but with drag and live entertainment all in one package. That's it. Yeah, we've had a right old hoot creating these brilliant shows, merging the worlds of wine and drag with raucous undertones and wild music. Yeah, it's great. I'm hoping um, uh, it would be great if Christine uh, Christina Bianco came along because I think we get on. Uh, I was loving chatting to her, but she seems like she'd enjoy a nice glass of wine, wouldn't she? I think so. I mean, I listened into that whole conversation and it was great hearing you two chatting. And it seems like she'd be well up for a bit of dragon wine. And I must say, Vanity, the diva doesn't need to be dead. You are bringing the diva back. <laughs> That's right, exactly. So there's there's only Adele. No one likes Jessie J. Ariana's not a diva. It's yeah. just me. I'm it's Vanity Van Glow. I'm this generation. Well, I don't think I'm this generation's diva. I'm probably last generation's diva. <laughs> But, but here today. Yeah. You love a bit of musical theatre, don't you? I do. I do. What if I, I'm dying to go. I still haven't gone to see it and I'm dying to see it. Um, oh, we're going to have to scrap that because the name has completely gone out of my head. <laughs> Absolutely dying to see it. I can miss, I hear one of the songs called Burn um, and I was watching it on Disney Plus the other night. Oh, Hamilton. Well. Hamilton, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> you mean that huge musical that has posters everywhere that no one stops shutting up about? Oh, but yeah, I do love a bit of musical theatre. I do love a bit of theatre and I love, uh, you know, incorporating wine into that theatre, which is what we've kind of done. I suppose over the last couple of years in creating drag and wine um and i think we have some exciting news to announce as well that's right so i i was i was touching on it there with christina but um anyone who is a fan of drag and a fan of wine and a fan of edinburgh can come and see us for a 26 show run at the edinburgh festival during the month of august this year we're going to be there the two of us um showing all of our our customers and guests that come to the show a range of delicious wines at the mono restaurant in the city center of edinburgh it's really exciting because i've never done it and you've never done it we've never done the fringe i haven't no super super excited mono restaurant is amazing as well you know it's like two minutes from the royal mile so 
We're going to be slap bang in the thick of it. So everyone can come and get a little bit lubricated with us from midday uh, until about one, half one, and then skip on off to other theatre shows. I think we're probably going to be responsible for some quite tipsy people going to see shows in the early afternoon, but they've been to see us first, so they will have had a bit of wine, (laughs) they'll be a bit tipsy. A little Um, bit of wine. Yeah, they'll get three three glasses of wine. for the tasting which is going to be brilliant so we'll do a different selection probably every day so if people really enjoy themselves they can come back again and um, beth there, there's more exciting news because for anyone listening to the vanity project um i will also be doing this solo uh, vanity project um i.e solo you won't be there telling me what to say um <laughs> the vanity project is also going to the Edinburgh festival so after our dragon wines at like midday i'll be sauntering off to sit down with different comedians and do interviews and chats and games and stuff like that so it's going to be it's going to be a lot but it's going to be really good fun i'm looking forward to it it is going to be fun so i'll have my afternoons free so i'll be lubricated up and uh, be let loose on Edinburgh after our show. Brilliant. A, a few weeks ago, we had the three drinkers on the podcast here, um, and we were talking about our trip to Ireland, where we were over there doing their show for Amazon Prime. Um, but I, I, you, we haven't chatted about that. How? How? I mean, you're from Ireland, so that was like going home for you. But wasn't it? It was an amazing time. It was brilliant. It was. It was a whirlwind. Um, it was amazing to reconnect with Ireland in that capacity. You know, it's been so long since I've spent a lot of time in Ireland and all of my career has been outside of Ireland and particularly in London. So connecting with Ireland on that level um, with food and wine and booze and all that sort of stuff was, was brilliant. But, you know, you're, we did something like 2000 miles in um, two weeks. So it's a lot of mileage. And when you're kind of steered and told where to go and you're and placed <laughs> in places, it's like, it's, it's like a dream, you know, and I've completely sort of forgotten half of it because it's just this whirlwind. Yeah. Um, so now that I have that connection again uh, with Ireland, I really look forward to, to seeing what, what kind of more exciting ventures come out of it. Is there something that people don't know about wine tasting um, that will help lure them along to our shows that you could, um, you could you, that you could tell them about? <laughs> I think I think the, the allure for us is the fact that I take away the white tablecloth from wine tasting. I love quality wine, but. I don't like the stuffiness that all, uh, often, you know, surrounds drinking wine and tasting wine. So, I think our tastings are so unique in a sense that we take all of that stuffiness out. We make it really playful. We um, we bring the divas into it. We compare grapes to divas and to drag queens, and we sort of personify uh, wine in that in that way. So, I think. That's something really unique about what we do, and that is going to be alluring for everyone. Yeah, like a good wine tasting should be fairly interactive. People are actually being invited to um, to express themselves. How does this taste for you? What experience are you having? And obviously, when there's a drag queen there, you know, there's nothing <laughs> you can say that's going to be wrong. <laughs> oh, people get people get raucous. Yeah, I mean, 
It is hilarious. We do, we do obviously do those. We do some uh, wine tasting, no competitions. And, you know, the first wine that people taste, they're relatively reserved, you know, in their tasting notes. And by the third one, when they're well in the thick of it, suddenly they become absolutely <laughs> salacious and mad and brilliant. Um, yeah. So definitely, once you once you put a drag queen in in the mix, everyone, it's almost like a gateway to to the madness. It's a gateway to the bottom. To the bottom. <laughs> There's just a gentle spiral that happens during the course of the wine tasting because it's only an hour, what an hour, an hour and a half long. So, um, you know, that that's that's the length of time that it takes for a perfectly polite middle-class mum of four to become <laughs> a tipsy, <laughs> horny, uh, filthy, joke-making uh, character indeed. Oh, brilliant. It's going to be a lot of fun. Tickets for our shows at the Edinburgh Festival will be available by the time this podcast is out. You can go to the official Edinburgh Fringe Festival website where you can search for Dragon Wine if you'd like to join us for um, that showcase every single day of the Fringe. Or if you'd like to come to a live uh, version of this podcast, The Vanity Project, taking place with different comedians, um, different antics every single day, I'll be doing those as well and you can get tickets for that too. Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really thrilled that we're going to be doing this together in August and people following us on social media are going to see all sorts of preparations as we get ready to go and do that. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Launch us. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.